A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. Hello, this is Ken. I am Rice Cube on Twitter, and I am actually not in Chicago. And with me is Andy, also known as Behind the Ivy on Twitter, and he is also not in Chicago. So, what's going on? <laughs> oh, opening day, the best time of the year. Indeed, like uh, we've been waiting all winter for this. Like the Cubs infamously did not do too hot uh, at the tail end of last year, but never really expected the Brewers to be as hot as they were. And uh, we'll talk about that a little later. Got my kid doing his Rubik's Cube next to me. And he got a lot farther than I ever did. So that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, how's Wisconsin? It's getting warmer, which after January is a, is a welcome change. It was mighty cold for about six weeks here. Yeah, I saw that. It was like uh, all the polar vortex winds were slamming down the Midwest, and people in Texas were like, oh, my God, it's snowing. And then you realize, wait, you know, Chicago and Minnesota and Wisconsin were all pretty much frozen to death. So that probably wasn't too fun for you guys. Uh, Yeah, they actually closed the University of Wisconsin for a day and a half, which – is a super rare occurrence and I can't actually even recall it happening for, for just cold, but there we yeah. were. Yeah. Cause you figure, uh, like Chicago maybe isn't as used to it, but Minnesota and Wisconsin should be. But, uh, yeah, a lot of schools just flat out closed because it was just too dangerous to go out and people like legitimately died outside uh, during that time, so it was pretty rough time for everybody back there. Yeah, but you know, it's the end of March. Opening day is tomorrow as we record this. Yeah, and I'm excited. We're getting, set, we're getting set for what should shape out to be a very interesting Cubs baseball season. All right, and uh, with that, we are slightly less busy than usual so fortuitously like if you hadn't talked talked me into it I probably wouldn't have done this because uh life is so crazy right now but uh it's as good a time as any to put out one of our dream casts again so we got ourselves an off-season recap talking about uh where all the money went uh Joe Madden possibly on the hot seats Hoping for a lot of uh, player rebounds from last year with uh, new coaching and new coaching philosophy. Uh, A little bit about certain personnel and finally a division preview. So how's that for a plan, sir? 
I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Sounds great. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrows. Okay, so recap. As you know, the Cubs tied with the Milwaukee Brewers at the very end of the last season. Then they play 163, and Cubs did not win. Then they played the wild card game, and Cubs did not win again. So we're looking at a month of baseball that they did not have to play that hopefully recharged them and forced them to think, hey, you know what? Uh, as John Lester said, you got to get your dick, <laughs> dick in the dirt every now and then and uh, pick yourself back up. Yeah, the the way last season ended was it was abrupt. I think going into even the last couple of weeks of the season, I had just assumed that the Brewers were going to run out of time. They and by all rights, they they really should have. The Cubs didn't really blow it in September. You know, they they didn't have their best month of the season, but you know, Milwaukee goes twenty two and eight. In their last 30, they they win their last eight games in a row, and they needed every single one of them to to get where they got. Yeah, so you just yeah. got to take your hand to a team that got immensely hot at the right time. Yeah, they also got very lucky because they played Detroit in the last series, but you know uh, they took care of business. The Cubs, unfortunately, did not. And it's not all Chicago's fault because of what you said. They just they they basically did a sixty nine Mets. Well, it was it was interesting because the Brewers they they had this run where they're like fourteen or fifteen games over five hundred in in a month's time, and you know there were only about ten or fifteen teams in in baseball that were anywhere close to that for the season or above. And for them, for them to do it in that amount of time, uh, spurred by Christian Yelich, that guy, that guy was ridiculous in the entire second half of the season. You know, coming back in the second half, his WRC plus is 220, and then in September it's 240. And for comparison's sake, that was Barry Bonds during his his record home run seasons when Barry Bonds was putting up those freakish numbers that's his WRC plus so it's like Christian Yelich goes Luke Barry Bonds for half the year and then Jeremy Jeffress you know he had a year that was so far beyond anything that he had ever done before it was it was really incredible So the Cubs led the division by six games on August 28th. I would have assumed that they would have won the division with that. Um, even, if, even if they go 500 in September, I would assume they win the division with that. They did better than 500. Milwaukee just, you know, I think they had like a 730 win percentage, which is insanity. I, I don't think you could blame the pitching. The pitching was sound all the way through. It's just that the offense forgot to score. And a lot of the coaching decisions, 
leading up to now had to deal with just changing out the old coaches that didn't work. I think Jim Hickey stepped down and they got a new pitching coach. Uh, Didn't they pluck the guy from the Marlins to do the pitching coach? I've been so out of the loop. I don't even know who our coaches are anymore. Uh, Tommy Hadovy is the new pitching coach. He was a, he was a run prevention coach earlier on. So he's been on staff for a while, Uh which is actually, it's actually a departure from the way the Cubs usually do hiring, which is completely outside of the organization. Bringing Anthony Iapachi back to be the hitting coach, another guy that was in the organization, you know, be with with a lot of the Cubs core when they were in the minor leagues. So they're they're bringing in some continuity, and and that's not kind of been their mo. They've They've traditionally looked outside the organization to look for completely new new people when they've made these types of moves. And I think in some ways they're they're realizing that without a consistent without consistent voices and continually changing voices at some rate it, it has a detriment. So a little bit more back to what they know and how they grew into the team that that won 97 games in 2015 and in a World Series the year after. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they actually didn't add too many uh, new names. Uh, I think the biggest name they signed was Daniel Toscalzo. And, of course, you know, uh, Cubs Twitter was all up in arms that that was like the, basically the biggest name that was signed all off season because as far as the ownership could tell uh, us anyway, uh, they were out of money. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think a lot of us assumed that they were going to go hard after Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. I I kind of wish they would. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've taken some heat on, on Twitter for saying they didn't need one of those guys and they don't they absolutely don't need one of those guys it would have been nice make, do the do they make the cubs better well yeah yes <laughs> of course they do um but but to say they need one of those players is, is a little bit of a stretch you know one of the things that the cubs actually need is for the guys they have to to take that step forward and produce in line with their talent which Theo Epstein alluded to in some ways to uh, after the season ended where players are going to be judged on results and not talent. And mm-hmm. we saw that last weekend with the demotion of Ian Happ. And uh, I, I don't think a lot of us were expecting a, an actual optioning of Ian Happ, but I guess in a way he was the most obvious one because he was young. He had options remaining they could do it and he couldn't do anything about it. And he also had a few things to work on because he's of course, supremely talented, but he has just an issues with making contact with his bat. So I think this is going to be good for him. He's going to come back with a major chip on his shoulder after he's uh, fixed all of Kyle Schwarber. And hopefully we see some great things from him. So there's other rebounds that we could expect, too, because Chris Bryant has a healthy shoulder. Uh, I guess uh, the pitchers are hopefully more healthy. 
Uh, Brandon Morrow, of course, is still hurt, and he's still ramping up, so you can't really count on him, I suppose. But uh, to have that guy coming back like a month after the season starts, and hopefully they're not just treading water, but they're all they're like winning a few games here and there. That that'd be really nice to just know that these guys are waiting in the wings. Yeah, I think there's a renewed energy in in the Cubs. I think we saw it over the course of the spring. I think I think you're going to see Chris Bryant really rebound. You know, he's not he's not a, a guy that puffs his chest out and and makes bold assertions, but I think he feels a little bit like people are starting to write him off or forget about him a little bit. So we haven't we haven't seen it in the the four years that he's been in the big leagues, but I, I for one am excited to see what a ticked off Chris Bryant looks like. Because in in 102 games last year, he has a, a WRC plus of 125, which by all measures is really good. And he did that with a messed up shoulder. You know, we get 102 games of Chris Bryant. 60 of those games are, you know, after his shoulder is injured, so he's not the same. You look at the first 40 last year, Chris Bryant was having his best season before he got hurt. Yeah. So a healthy, a healthy Chris Bryant, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what he's able to do. I'm, I'm also looking towards Albert Almora, you know, he looked like he was swinging the bat quite a bit better this spring. So driving it with a little more authority, he was horrific in the second half last year. They need, they don't need him to be a great hitter. They, they can't have him being an awful hitter, and that's what he was in the second half of the season. Yeah, and uh, I think we, we saw Wilson Contreras just beating the heck out of the ball all spring training. Hopefully that means – it translates to the regular season. We just never know. But uh, I, I think for the most part, we were seeing the Cubs uh, just lay the smack down on the ball. Uh, they were hitting with yeah. authority. They were going gap to gap. They didn't seem to hit as many home runs as I would have liked. But, uh, you know, that probably doesn't mean too much. Uh, I think – Driving the ball is is what we like. I, I like seeing that they score bunches of runs, even if like half of them were by minor leaguers. Yeah, I, I'm okay with with however they score runs and the the feast or famine type of offense. You know that doesn't work, and that's kind of where they got. Where late in the season, if Anthony Rizzo or or Javier Baez really, if they weren't hitting home runs they weren't scoring and it's a little bit evident in the RBI total you know Javi Baez led the team with 111 Anthony Rizzo got to 101 and then you just look down the list of anybody else with any appreciable playing time Kyle Schwarber was third and he had 61 that's uh that is not a great distribution of driving driving in runs. Uh, Chris Bryant probably do better than the 52 he did last year. Uh, they, the Cubs need to, to do a better job of driving in runners, uh, moving, advancing runners. And we see 
we've seen a lot more of Joe Madden as a coach this spring. And I think a lot of what went wrong in the second half with the offense has led up to this point where, where Joe is being a more integral part of the coaching staff mm-hmm. and working out important factors of, for lack of a better, better word, playing baseball the right way, you know, kind of like the Cardinals had done for so long where they would advance a runner and get, you know, getting guys in from third with less than two outs. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a sacrifice fly. Right. And I think uh, a lot of this has to do with health and attitude. And uh, they they definitely have the talent. And before anybody super yells at us, like I, I understand that RBI are not necessarily predictive, but considering that the Cubs have one of the best on-base percentages in the National League and you still can't drive the guys in, that means you're not taking care of your opportunities. So having more opportunistic hitting, like just take it the other way, take what the pitcher gives you, lay down the bunt if you have to, but uh, just do something to keep advancing the line, you know? Uh, I, I think I've seen a lot more of that in spring training. Like, obviously, the pitching is not, you know, up to snuff because they're just getting their work in and they're not really, really trying to get you out. But it's still nice to see a lot of uh, situational hitting, a lot of crooked numbers being put up. Yeah, we saw we saw them just legend teams a couple of years ago when, when they won the World Series where mm-hmm. just pounding teams especially late in games, games that we're on, and that's where Screw the Closer came from, where it just – and enough already came from. And it, in large part, it's the same group of players. You know, back to the point about on base, the Cubs had, you know, five guys with on base percentages over 350 last year with, with over 200 plate appearances. It wasn't a problem getting him on. It wasn't a problem anywhere in the least getting him on. You know, the only the only sub three hundred on base percentage that they had among two hundred plate appearance hitters among the twelve of them was Victor Caratini. Yeah. And if your backup catcher is getting on at a two ninety three clip, though know, you you'd like better for a guy who's known for his bat and doesn't offer much behind the plate, but you know, when when Wilson Contreras is your everyday catcher, you're also not expecting him to play a whole bunch. Uh, he played in 138. Mm-hmm. And, and I bet I most of them were at catcher. A whole lot of, I don't think he did a whole lot in left field last year. No. So you got to try to get him some extra days off and I know Caratini can probably spell, like, you know, Anthony Rizzo at first base, and he can obviously, like, you know, give Wilson a breather behind the plate. And I think he's actually been hitting fairly well in the spring as well. Like, obviously, you can't take that for as gospel or anything, but uh, hitting good well in spring is better than hitting like crap. <laughs> so, yeah. It's good signs that you like to see, and I, I guess I, I understand that this team isn't perfect by any means, and really what baseball team is, 
but uh, I, I feel like they are very competitive and they should be contending. Like you, you've heard about the Pakoda uh, projections they're at 79 wins they're going to finish last a lot of teams are picking the Cardinals or the Brewers or even the Reds to to uh, win the division and the Cubs might miss the playoffs but uh, we'll get into that later but uh, we we can talk about the, the the fact that the Cubs just didn't really add too, too much to this team I mean like we talked about earlier, they they could have signed Bryce Harper, but ultimately they decided not to. And I don't necessarily think it's because they're out of money. It's more because they didn't feel like they needed to spend the money. And maybe that's the sign of a good businessman, but uh, it, it's also disappointing to a lot of Cubs fans. But I, I know you've been arguing a lot that uh, – that this team should be okay as is, and there's a lot of ifs, but the, the floor on this team is so high that, you know, even if a couple of things don't break right, I don't think they're going to be like, you know, Alan Trammell's Tigers dead, you know? Right. But yeah, I just look at last year where, think about all the stuff that went wrong. Anthony Rizzo gets hurt mm-hmm. early in the season. The weather... The weather early last season, you know, it just followed them around, and it was awful. Uh, Chris Bryant hurts his shoulder. He misses 60 games. He plays 60 games that, you know, he's reasonably healthy enough to play, but, you know, not not healthy by any stretch of the imagination. Hugh mm-hmm. Darvish doesn't throw a pitch after Memorial Day. Tyler Catwood throws a lot of pitches. Almost none of them were anywhere near the strike zone. Um, Brandon Morrow doesn't throw a pitch after the all-star break. Um, You Darvish was broken all season, and they finally figured out why. Yeah, uh, he had a similar injury to what Alex Mills had in 2017, and it is legitimately one of those things, those stress reactions where, you know, they present one way and and you go after it, you rehab it, and it doesn't go away. It doesn't get better. And then, you know, eventually you figure it out. And once you figure it out, you can manage it and you can rehab it and you can get healthy. Yeah. And it's based on the way he looked this spring. You Darvish looks healthy, which would be a huge, huge plus for this Cubs team. You know, mm-hmm. they, they had some things go right. You know, Jesse Chavez turns into a lights-out reliever after they get him from Texas. Cole Hamels looked like the July 25th, 2015 Cole Hamels for the most part. Yeah, we, we don't like to talk about that one. <laughs> but... Hey, speak for yourself, man. I was at that game. That was awesome. It's bucket list to go see a, or to be able to see a no-hitter in person. Absolutely. And to be at the one that, that ended the Cubs' no-hit streak, you know, it's a historic game. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a little sad that the Cubs were on the wrong side of it. But oh, they got out of it fine. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, they got, you know, the Cubs fans got to, to watch one of their own throw a no-hitter pretty quickly thereafter. And then again, early the next season in Jake Arrieta. So yeah. all's well that ends well. 
But yes. back back to the point, you know, all the you know, just from the player perspective, you know, Wilson Contreras wears down and and doesn't give you anything close to what you expect from Wilson Contreras. And then to have forty two scheduled game days in forty three to close the season, you know, the the Cubs were zombies walking out of the end of the two thousand eighteen season. They were just fried. Yeah. You could see it in game one sixty three and you could see it in the wild card. They were they were spent. And to take that wild card game to twelve, thirteen innings, whatever it ended. Yeah. I, I you know, think... it, it is what it is. But if you look back, that team, in spite of all the things that went wrong, it it won ninety five games. Yeah, I they think were... There were a lot of things to be proud of that season, and, you know, obviously we're disappointed, but I I don't think it's necessarily good to be that negative about it. You just say, well, you know, they got kicked in the teeth. Let's dust it off and try again. And unfortunately, this is the last year. Like, depending on your point of view, it's fortunate or unfortunate that this is the last year of Joe Madden's contract guaranteed. So we... I should talk a little bit about what maybe we should do uh, or we would do if we were in a position of power. I don't think Joe Madden is a bad manager. He like he obviously knows what he's doing when he's able to do what he did with those Tampa Bay teams, when he's able to cultivate the talent that's on this team. And maybe some of it is his fault because of the way he churns certain relievers that he deems his favorites into the ground. And maybe he's too laid back and he's trying to reel it back in. But uh, I I don't know. Uh, I I think depending on your narrative, the writing is on the wall for Joe Madden. I'm not sure I believe that. I know, I know there were people that in the back of their minds, they, they assumed that that we were going to see Theo Epstein ride off in the sunset Mm -hmm. after the He's in 2016 because his contract is over too. Right. Do, do I think Joe Madden's definitely going to be back in 2020? No, that's there's nothing guaranteed with a guy without a contract. He's I also kind of old, right? He's uh, in his 60s yeah, now. But, you know, yeah, I wish I could be as energetic and <laughs> trying to flow around the way Joe Madden does at, at that age. I can barely do it at 33. So I just have a difficult time understanding, you know, where where this prevailing narrative among Cubs fans is that Joe Madden's not a good manager. And the common report, the, the only thing that people can really point to is bullpen management and inconsistency in lineups. But it's not it's not an accident that Joe Madden's teams get better and better and better as seasons wear on. And last year is a real anomaly in that, you know, that team just wore out for reasons beyond, you know, what Joe Madden was doing as a manager. Um, You know, the, the schedule and injuries and, you know, a lot of things caught up to him, but, the Cubs didn't have a 200-inning pitcher last year. 
talk about Steve Ciszek pitching every day. Mm-hmm. Steve Ciszek threw 70 innings. You know, so so workload-wise, guys, guys weren't really too overextended. Um, and then so much of being a major league manager happens, you know, outside of the view of the camera. And, you know, this team and the results, it speaks for itself. They haven't won any fewer than 93 games or whatever they won in 2017 under Joe Madden. So I think it was 92, but uh, yeah, it yeah. was 90 plus every year. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is what, the OS team was attempting to build, you know, 90 win seasons and having bite after bite after bite after bite at the playoffs. And they've had that every single year under Joe Madden. There's no reason to believe they won't have that again this year. Yeah. And uh, I, I think uh, a lot of the, the pitching, like you, you will have your old school starters who go the 200 plus innings and they want to throw they're seven plus each night, and some will actually throw a complete game. I don't actually recall the last time a Cubs starter was able to throw a complete game, and we also saw a lot of Cubs starters not last past the sixth inning a lot, and that really stretches your bullpen. But that seems to be uh, becoming the norm in MLB. Like, you have so much specialization. You have even the opener strategy that the uh, that the Tampa Bay Rays started to adopt and like Craig Council famously did in one of the NLCS games with Wade Miley. So, like, they, they understand that pitching is a lot of wear and tear in your arm and therefore they have to kind of adjust to it. So I, I think some of that plays into it. But at the same time, if you're healthy and if you have a game plan and you know what you're doing you could potentially reduce the amount of wear and tear on your arm you reduce the amount of stress keep the pitchers healthy but again I'm not uh, I'm not a major league strength coach or a pitching coach or you know I'm, I'm just possibly talking on my butt here but uh, I, I feel like there's a happy medium that you could strike yeah I mean it's never going to be perfect. You know, like Joe says, it's not always an oil painting. No, that's really true. Um, I think, I think it's about, you know, what Joe does better than most managers is, is he's not willing to, to sacrifice the war for the battle. You know, if a guy is truly not available one night, you know, he's really not available. And that's a, that's an important thing for for a major league manager to be able to do to understand that 162 games in 180 days is it's a grind and you know he he went to C-Shack a lot but this is a guy who pitched in 80 games but only had 70 in a third inning so he didn't always throw you know a ton of pitches every single outing the the thing that probably hurt Steve C-Shack more than anything was was being up, you know, getting up and warming up, and that that adds up. And and we can, you know, we can harp a lot on Joe Madden's bullpen use, but you know, I think there are 29 other fan bases that'll complain about their manager's use of the bullpen. You know, no, nobody's 
Nobody's fan base thinks that the manager is using the bullpen right. Nobody's fan base thinks that the lineup is perfect. Nobody's fan base thinks that they should double switch for the pitcher in the middle of the sixth inning with a runner on second and two outs in a two-run game. And, you know, the manager is going to get picked to pieces for every decision he makes. And, you know, baseball is a game of failure. So going to a pinch hitter early and burning him when he doesn't drive in that time run or, you know, it's easy to sit on a couch or in your armchair or in the bleachers and, you know, criticize the manager. But, you know, we we don't see a fraction of, of what he sees and we don't know a fraction of what he knows about what's going on inside that clubhouse or with the player's availability or with, you know, how a, how a pitcher's arm is feeling that day and trying to extend him from 90 to 100 pitches. You know, it's, it's really hard from an outside perspective to evaluate the performance of a manager just based on results. It's a, it's a really biased way to do it. And it's one based almost completely in ignorance. The beauty and the history in this cathedral the sky so blue against the grass so green Like time stood still forever uh, I enjoy action. I like seeing the ball in play. I almost would prefer the ball stay in the park so we can see guys running around the bases. Like, there's something to be said about a well-timed strikeout or a timely home run. But, you know, liners in the gap infield singles like you know the squeeze play uh opposite field gappers you know bloopers that fall in all those things could potentially be fun and i feel like uh some of the rules that are being proposed and that are yet to be implemented but will be uh universal dh might come before the next or by the next uh cba uh, by next year, they will have the pitch clock, or maybe they'll table that. I don't know. But they definitely will have three, uh, the three batter minimum for, per pitcher. So I, I feel like all of that is supposed to increase uh, uh, offense and reduce the amount of time you spend just twiddling your thumbs while they change the pitchers. So what do you think of the rule changes that were being proposed? You know, there, there's a lot of Major League Baseball, you know, being able to yell, we're doing something, but they're not doing anything effective. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Mike Petriello put out an article, and he was celebrating the three-batter minimum rule. But if you read his article, it doesn't really support doing it. In the end, it doesn't, it's not going to make a big difference. Right. Uh, the pitch the pitch clock, it's 20 seconds. Nobody, it doesn't affect 99% of the pitchers. You know, right. it's going to affect the Kenley Jansons of the world or Pedro Baez. You know, for, for the most part, that 20-second pitch clock isn't going to mean anything to most of these pitchers. They're not even being affected by it. But baseball can say, look, we're doing something. We're moving the game along. <laughs> well, they're not. It's more of a perception it's, thing, then. 
it's a you know they're they want to do something, and they're they're trying to spitball all of these ideas. But when you look at what they're going to amount to, it's next to nothing. Right. So you know what uh, they really should do, and they are testing this, I think, in the Atlantic League. Robot strike zones. I, I know a lot of people have said, and even Harry, who we've had on a podcast before, Harry Pavlidis, said uh, they they don't have the t- technology uh, optimized for that. But let's see how the test goes and maybe implement a robot strike zone because if the hitters know the strike zone, now they know what to swing at and, uh, you know, potentially they're, they're less likely to swing at bad sliders and put the ball in play more. Maybe that'll, that'll work out because now you're no longer staring at a strike that isn't really a strike, but it's called a strike because the catcher happens to pull it, be very good at pulling it back into the strike zone. Uh, so you have less of that because the batter's eye isn't that bad. It, like, it's probably better than uh, the umpires, in my opinion. But uh, I, I don't know. There's like a lot of things you could do without putting more rules in the rule book. I do I do want to say that I do like the three batter minimum because I don't like too much specialization because that reduces the number of matchups that you can use later on, like if you want to pinch hit or pinch run. Uh, I, I think this game skewed much more towards pitching now, and there needs to be like a a recalibration back towards the offense. But uh, I, I think for the most part, I, I like the game the way it is, but I also can't – I have to concede that it's becoming a three true outcomes game. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the way of, of a lot of the sports now, uh, you know, the NBA has gone to dunks and threes. You know, baseball is a lot of the three true outcomes. I'm not a fan of the three batter minimum. And it's, it's mostly because it's pointless. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's going to affect, you know, the, the handful of, you know, the handful of events in, in the season. I think, I think it broke down to what, it'll actually truly affect the team once a week or each team once a week. Mm-hmm. If you think about that, you know, a team's going to play five, six, seven games in a week's time. It's going to, this rule is going to matter once, you know, so, so you're not, you're not changing anything there. Uh, to me, you know, specialization isn't the bad thing. You know, you only get so many players. You can't, and you can't bring a player back. So, I mean, unless you're Joe Madden and you tuck him in left field and you do and you play those kinds of roster games, but those kinds of roster games are actually entertaining. Um, yeah. It, at some point, you run out of players. If you can't bring everybody in to face one batter, or you're going to run out of pitchers. Right. You can't do it. So, it 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 absolutely affects strategy. Um, in in that regard, I'm against it. You shouldn't like you shouldn't be changing rules that are going to affect the outcome of the game. You know, Len talked about it in one of the games, spring games they did this weekend. You know, what if your pitcher can't throw strikes? Well, you're looking at it. He's just going to keep walking guys. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, now your rule is, is changing the outcome of the game. Because you can't go get him. You know, if, if the Cubs have to go to Dylan Maples and he can't keep the strike zone, or Tyler Chat was, and he can't locate the strike zone, it's stuck. And if it's a close game, you know, you're stuck. You're stuck with him. Right. And that's, to me, that's not a, that's not a worth, the once a week that this will actually matter isn't a worthy reason to, to really affect the game in that regard. Yeah. Especially with the playoff, like we had two game 163 last year. Mm-hmm. Two if the Cubs lost game 161 because they couldn't change a pitcher who couldn't throw strikes and it ended up costing them a game by a run and they like that's man or imagine losing game 163 because you know you can't substitute a pitcher mm-hmm. you know until two batters later who's having a who's having a bad outing like, you know now we're we're talking about affecting the outcomes of games and we're doing it in the name of pace of play, but it's not going to affect much, not significantly anyway. Right. You know, what I think is uh, like, these rules are interesting in itself. And like, I, I do somewhat like the idea of restricting uh, fielders across the second base bag because uh, the shifts kind of take away singles. But at the same time, everybody's trying to launch the ball over the infield anyway. So maybe it doesn't matter in the long run. But a lot of these rules seem like they're smoke screens against a bigger issue, which is uh, service time and how players are getting compensated. So you've probably seen like a Eloy Jimenez, former Cubs prospect, now a White Sox, is able to start the season with the White Sox because he signed a, a uh, an extension, and that was very convenient because before that they had optioned him to minor league camp because he needed to work on defense. But lo and behold, a few days later, his defense improved so much that they gave him like a $43 million contract, and now he can start with them. So uh, there's there's a little bit of uh, mild manipulation there. Uh, there's speculation from you, in fact, that they're going to extend Fernando Tatis Jr. And he's starting with uh, San Diego. And San Diego obviously is like millions of dollars under a luxury tax cap. And, you know, they obviously are in it to win it this year, even though they're projected not to do so. But considering like everything that they're doing, they're uh, allowing Chris Paddock to also start. Uh, they're, they're doing the same. I, did they, they're the one with uh, Francisco Mejia, right? They, they traded for yep. him. So yeah. there, there's a bunch of rookies that are starting opening day for the San Diego Padres. And you kind of like to see that because these rookies are some of the best players that they have. And you always want to go into the opening day with your best 25 and not have a Chris Bryant situation. And you say, well, yeah, we want that extra year, but, you know, who knows what's going to happen a few years down the road. So why not just try to win now? And I feel like 
from my standpoint, I'm not a businessman. I don't really care because I'm not the billionaire. I, it's not my money. I just want to see wins. So I'm talking from the fan standpoint. I want to see these guys get paid as much as they can because if I'm going to pay this much to go to the ballpark, I'd rather the money that I perceive I'm paying go to the people that I'm trying to watch play this game of baseball. But I don't think MLB and ownership are on the right track, and that's why we're seeing like uh, these free agent freezes and these roster games and uh, Blake Snell basically not getting paid until Tampa Bay was like, you know what, we, we found some money now. Here's an extension because you won the Cy Young Award. It's uh, really weird how things work with them. You know, it's it's hard for for the players to complain. You know, they they created their own environment. You know, by agreeing to a competitive balance tax, by by allowing the system of arbitration, which actually works in their favor. No other league has a system where where after two or three seasons you can go back to your team and say, I'm worth X amount and you should pay me this. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so in that regard, arbitration works for baseball. Um, I, I sat on Twitter last night. I thought the Padres were being wildly irresponsible with Fernando Tatis. And the same is true with, with all of the rookies they're bringing and putting on their 25 man roster. Right? Let's spin it back. You know, the Cubs won 97 games in 2015. And that was with Chris Bryant starting in AAA and Addison Russell starting in AAA. And, you know, they they held those guys down to get that extra year. Right. And, you know, could they have won one more game, two more games in that first 12 or so that, that Chris Bryant was down? Sure, it's possible. And they would have hosted the wild card at that point. Are they going to win four more games to win 101 and win the division? Probably not. Um, so ultimately, it's, you know, they're likely not in a different situation in 2015 with Chris Bryant on opening day versus Chris Bryant two weeks later. You know, spinning it forward now, if you know, if Chris Bryant had been on the opening day roster, we're looking at next season being his free agent year. Right. You know, next season's the contract year. You know, hmm. that's a, I'm, I'm completely content with teams looking at it and doing really simple math. Yeah, I'll give up two weeks for an entire season. Because if Fernando Tatis is as good as advertised, you're going to want that extra year. Yeah. Or Francisco as good as advertised. If Vlad Jr. is as good as advertised, mm-hmm. like I get it. I want to watch. I want to watch these guys play too. If you know, if for nothing else, with these prospects, it's morbid curiosity to see how they're going to handle it right. at the big league because they're not all going to succeed. Uh, but the way around it, you know, you can get a team like the Padres, who, especially for a team like the Padres, it's a the ridiculous and irresponsible move because they don't spend money. They are a lower revenue team. It's going to cost them more sooner and they they could potentially lose their player sooner. Right. He'll have free agency younger. It'll make him more expensive. 
which will make it more difficult for them to retain him, all for the sake of two weeks. Yeah. You know, so I'm gonna I'm going to check your point of view because I see where you're coming from and I think a lot of fans feel the same way. Like major league minimum is almost six hundred thousand dollars. Like these guys are going to make that money in the uh, it's going to take me about 10 or 15 years to make that much money after taxes. So it it's like a lot more money than most of us can comprehend. And so they should be happy. Now, that being said, these are some of the best players in the world. That's why they're at MLB and not playing in Japan or KBO, where they're also really good players, but they're obviously not an MLB caliber. Uh, it's their bodies. It's their livelihood. They deserve to get paid. And we won't even talk about the minor leaguers who aren't get pay- getting paid crap. I think both you and I agree that they should be paid more. They should be paid at least living wage. But um, if you think about the way that the free agency is being squeezed, like everybody now, ever since uh, Moneyball became the rage and, you know, front offices started packing their 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 staff with Ivy League brain brain trusts. They don't want to pay 30-plus-year-olds anymore. So now you're looking at the time between, like, 20 and 29 where these guys are in their primes, and then after that you don't want to pay them anymore. But you're not paying them now. So this this is a fundamental shift in, in thinking, and that's why I brought – uh, along the idea that the rules changes were smoke screens because the real issue is whether they should be paid fairly for their services. And you can argue, yeah, you know, teachers should be paid more, doctors should probably be paid more, uh, you know, librarians and uh, other, you know, military people considering what they have to sacrifice. But the, the problem is, a lot of people could be teachers and they could join the military and serve our country, but not everybody can hit a baseball. Not everybody can throw 95 miles an hour. So now there's a discrepancy between what we perceive people are worth and what they actually should be worth based on how many people will buy their jerseys and pay to see them on their TVs and whatnot. So, you know, I don't, it's going to take a lot of mental gymnastics, but I can see where the players are coming from as well. Is that, that's what I'm saying. I think I, I look at it, I know I look at it differently than you. Uh, mm-hmm. Baseball is a business. Baseball is a business. Everybody's in it to make money. The owner's in it to make money. The player's in it to make money. The, the guy that's selling you hot dogs in it to make money. Everybody's there to make money. So when I when I buy my MLB TV subscription or I go to the ballpark or, you know, I, I buy the jersey or whatever I, I choose to do with my money, I know that I know that, that money isn't necessarily all going to the player. Mm-hmm. The player is there. The player is who I'm there to see. The player is there to provide the, the main attraction. But going to a, especially a Major League Baseball game, you know, it's, it's not just about the game. It's about the experience of being in the park. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of the, the thrill of going to the game is to experience experience things live with 
this the other the other fans in attendance and to be outside and you know those are all things that are provided or the provided by ownership to the players like the more the more we see it be uh, an acrimonious relationship you know the more likely it is to see a strike but the, the two sides need each other they really do yeah and and everybody look everybody in baseball is making money except for the minor leaguers those guys are starving so I don't feel bad for Blake Snell making $600,000 this year. I just don't. I don't have it in my heart to feel bad for a guy <laughs> making money. And he knows what he signed up for. And, you know, he, he had a Cy Young Award, gave him some leverage. He, he negotiated himself a contract extension that makes it so when he's done with baseball, he never has to work again in his life. You know, he could, he could never throw again. His contract's guaranteed. He never has to do anything for the rest of his life. He's set. Mm-hmm. And he had that opportunity. You know, Chris Bryant in 2016 made the league minimum and won an MVP award after making the league minimum and winning rookie of the year. Yeah. And, and the Cubs, in their infinite generosity, paid him, I think, $1.05 million. Right. Which which was a record for a renewal at that point. You know, so the, the structure is is wholly unchanged. Uh, as far as free agency goes, you know, the stars are still going to get paid. Hugh Darvish got a nine-figure deal last year in the 30s. Um, you know, Bryce Harper did just fine in free agency this year. Manny Machado did just fine this year. The, the people that are going to get hurt, by the way, are, are spending and aren't spending is that class of player. And and really, like, you just look back at some of the things executives have said. You know, Theo Epstein said, free agency is, is a fool's errand sometimes where you're necessarily overpaying for performance. And I think teams just kind of looked at that and they said, listen, you know, especially the 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 Red Sox, Cubs, Yankees, and Dodgers, they're the only ones that are really in spitting distance of the luxury tax. You know, if you look at that, why why pay $88 million of what number Jeff Samarja got? Yeah. Yeah, I so, think I think you, you have a point there. It's just... Uh... I think having dealt with not having a lot of money and then realizing that you worked all your life for this moment. And yeah, you, you have to concede like when they get to that point, they will get paid a ton of money and this is life changing money. Like even if they don't do anything for the rest of their lives, like even after taxes, that's like a quarter million dollars after taxes and they they can live pretty happily off that for a number of years while they bag groceries or whatever. But I, I think there needs to be a restructuring of the CBA such that the young players who we all know are the ones on the up and up, who are talented, who 
everybody's trying to grab because they want the young talent, the ones who are, you know, still healthy, still growing, still learning the game, and still projected to get better. Those are who you want to pay and not the old guys who are on the way down. Like when you pay the free agents, you're basically giving them a reward for having lasted so long and not for their future performance. So I, I just think there should be a restructuring of this and also to make it easier for people to focus on baseball, maybe just pay the minor leaguers what they deserve and kudos to Blue Jays for thinking about it. Kudos to MLB for finally saying, you know what, even though we paid millions of dollars for this lobby to for this ridiculous bill to, to call them seasonal workers, we'll probably just raise the minor league wages because that's potentially the right thing to do. And I think it is. Uh, now you're, and I, I think most of us would agree, like if you get paid enough, you're not worried about your diet anymore because you can actually afford to eat right. You're not worried about a roof over your head. You can just worry about the game plan and about getting better at your job so that you have a chance at the life-changing money. Yeah, I'm not I haven't given the Blue Jays credit for doing what they did. I am I'm not giving MLB credit. The Blue Jays are going to increase salaries of their minor leaguers 50 percent. Sixteen hundred dollars a month is still next to nothing. Yeah, it's poverty for wages, me, man. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's it's not you know seasonal versus you know full time. You know, all of that stuff kind of you throw it out the window and you look at it, you're like, these are players that we hope someday can help us at the major league level. Mm-hmm. You know, none of those, they don't find these players to fail. You know, there's, there's something in each of them that looks like it could be a major league player someday. David Bodie was a low round draft pick. Uh, C.J. Edwards was a low-round draft pick. These are players on the major league roster now. Mm -hmm. So you look at it. You know, Wilson Contreras, he toiled in the minor leagues for a long time and didn't get a huge life-changing bonus. So it's it's not about the the ability to to survive and paying a fair wage for me. I mean, that's that's a big part of it. Like you should be able to eat more than a peanut butter sandwich, but you're paying these guys and in the off season, they're, they're out driving for Uber or doing other jobs or no, they have to quit. You know, players have to quit and actually get real jobs to support themselves. Whereas if you paid some of these talented guys, but you don't have to pay them a ton. You pay as a single A pitcher or player fifty thousand dollars a year. They're not making a ton of money. They're not rich by any means. That's but, still making less than what I make now, dealing <coughs> my own personal income. But hmm. they're comfortable enough to get a decent apartment because you know single A teams they don't play in huge cities. You know I live. I live near Madison, Wisconsin. There's single A teams in the Midwest League, you know, just to the south of me in Beloit, a little bit north in Appleton. 
if you're making $50,000 a year and you're renting a two bedroom apartment with one of your teammates there, like you can sleep in your own bed. You'll have some money and you can work out and do those types of things. And you can go to Arizona or Florida or wherever your team's training facility is in the off season. And you can rent an apartment with another player and you can work out and you can throw and, and you can develop your craft without having to worry about, you know, where you're going to sleep or sleeping yeah. on an air mattress between two of your teammates on a living room floor, you know, any of the ridiculous stuff that minor leaguers are going through. But you look at, at these impoverished players that are, you know, really overcoming all odds when they make it. Like you look at David Bodie this spring, he looks like a different guy and it's because he looks like he's, been able to eat for the yeah. last few months. <laughs> yeah, I think we can we can sympathize more with the guys who literally are in the poorhouse much more than the guys who are making at least league minimum because league minimum is like ridiculous money. You can buy, you know, several very nice luxury cars and pay cash for a house with that, that money, and that's just in a year's salary. But uh, being that it's such a fickle sport, like you, you can't blame the guys for wanting to make as much money as they can. And I guess at the same token, you can't blame the owners for not wanting to pay as much as they can because that's how business works. You want to cut costs so you can increase your profit margin. And, you know, baseball is a cash cow now. But uh, I, I think it's in the players that, union's interest to reverse using whatever little leverage they have left. They need to reverse what they did in the last CBA because that was ridiculous. That was really, really stupid. Uh, Just, you know, the luxury tax, the, uh, the curbing of all all the draft bonuses, uh, all, all that stuff. That was not very good for their side. And now they're paying for it and, I guess they realized a little too late what they had lost. Well, I think their theory was that if teams aren't spending as much on international players and teams aren't spending as much on the draft, it'll be more for the veteran players down the line. And the teams were okay with that, especially the the lower revenue and smaller market teams. Mm -hmm. They're good with that because they can't compete with the Dodgers and the Cubs and the Yankees and the Red Sox and some of these other teams spending insane money on some of these, these young players. So, so I, I think there's a irony in that because I think that's where like a lot of low, low uh, revenue teams, like, you know, Baltimore wasn't doing it for whatever reason, because they're Baltimore, but Tampa Bay, Oakland, like all those, you know, money ballish teams, they would spend a lot to scout internationally and they would get a lot of really good prospects. So now basically you you've neutered the lower income teams even more in a way, I think. Well, sure. Uh, the Tampa Bays of the world, they were doing those things, but they weren't doing like what the Cubs did with Jorge Soler, where they gave him a nine-year major league deal. Yeah. The Cubs couldn't do that. The Cubs couldn't do that anymore. That, that's not an option for them to, mm-hmm. to make that move anymore. So, you know, they tried to, they tried to make it so that the teams were, 
were more on equal ground and based on records to to acquire young players, which which makes some sense and puts them a little more in line with with the NFL and the NBA. Um, yeah, I think you just need to give us. Uh, the young kids, like, you know, the Kyler Murray situation, I think that's really rare. But you got to give kids incentive to want to become a baseball player. Uh, and a lot of it stems from the love of the game, but some of it has to be monetary. And I think they need to be compensated for their investment in the game. Uh, but I, I guess that's all, all I have to say about that. I, I believe that your definition of fair compensation versus mine might be different because of our differing philosophies. But I, I think, you know, I'm happy that we at least agree that minor leaguers should get paid more. <laughs> you know, for, me, for me, I understand like baseball is a business. Everybody's yeah. making money. Right. And I don't care. Like I, I honest to God don't care that Tom Ricketts makes money off of the club. He should. Right. I don't, and I don't care what the player's salary is. I don't, I don't care how much the player I'm watching is making. I'm not watching Anthony Rizzo up there going, wow, that guy's a friggin' steal at his contract. I'm going, I want him, I want him to drive in these two runners. So the Cubs get a four run lead in the, in the eighth inning. You know, that's like, I want the Cubs to win. I don't care how much they spend or don't spend on players. Mm-hmm. I want it. Bryce Harper. I wanted. I actually wanted Manny Machado more than Bryce Harper. I think I did too. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, I thought Manny Machado at third base, and then Chris Bryant moving to the corner outfield slot that Bryce Harper would have manned would have improved the Cubs more than signing Bryce Harper. That's yeah. a different conversation. For me, I don't care what people are making. Everybody in baseball is making money hand over fist at at a ridiculous level. And I think we're seeing what, what's changing in the game in these extensions where, you know, Eloy Jimenez gets $43 million before he takes a major league swing. Mm-hmm. You know, that the White Sox didn't need to do that, but they can afford to do that because there's a lot of money in the game. Mm-hmm. And, if Eloy Jimenez scratches the surface of what he can do, he's worth it. He's worth every penny. Right. And, and Eloy, yeah. Eloy does it because if he busts, you know, if he goes the way of Jorge Soler. At least he, he gets it, paid, yeah. Yeah, he's got life-changing money. You know, Blake Snell, we talked about him, where if he never throws another pitch, he's got life-changing money. Right. You know, so I think – I think we're going to see the the younger players get extended more, you know, give up a year, maybe two years of free agency to get that life-changing payday really early in their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the huge name free agents, the Bryce Harper, the Manny Machado, uh, Chris Bryant, when he gets the free agency, because I assume that's going to be the end result. Uh, those guys are always going to get paid. Right. There's never, there's never good. It, it may take until February, you know, like it did for Machado and, and Harper this year, but those guys got 300 plus million dollars. Yeah. You know, Mike Trout, Mike Trout didn't even take it to free agency. He took a year, 
a year less than Harper and got $96 million more dollars. Well, so, he's also better. <laughs> but, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, but the the money in the game is actually fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at, you know, Dallas Keuchel still available, Craig Kimball still available, like, oh, free agency is frozen, nothing's going on, it's boring. The tide has changed. So teams are looking at it, and they're not willing to spend, you know, the the ridiculous money on the older declining player anymore. Free right. agency in baseball used to be a career achievement award for declining players, and now there's a real penalty. So, like, the Cubs, you know, the Cubs are spending two hundred and probably 35 or $240 million on Major League Baseball players this year. Right. So they very well could be tapped out for what they can spend on a player. And I chronicled it the other day on Twitter where, you know, they're spending like $135 million on pitchers this year. Pitching alone, over $50 million is in the bullpen. You know, that's, that's a lot of money. You know, so when you look at, you know, why couldn't the Cubs go after Machado and Harper? It's because they spent a lot of money elsewhere. They spent a lot of money on players that aren't giving them a whole lot. You know, and that, that's where this, this discussion about free agency comes in. You know, like you look at the Cubs, the Cubs are a perfectly good illustration of why you need to grow your own players and why relying on free agency is a ridiculous idea. You know, I posed a question last night to you. Uh, what if Bryce Harper doesn't hit? Yeah. And and the answer that, that I always get when I ask that question is, you're an idiot. He's Bryce Harper. Of course he's going to hit. Yeah, but, but baseball is fickle, so you never know if he's going to bust like uh, Jason Hayward has so far. And that's that's the that's the illustration that I go back to. Like Jason Hayward, to me, at 26 year old, and this is going to get me flame roasted when this podcast comes out. Jason Hayward at 26 years old was a better investment than Bryce Harper at 26 years old. Because Jason yeah. Hayward, Jason Hayward. You know, we saw the absolute floor of Jason Hayward. He could not hit any worse than he hit in 2016. And he's been incrementally climbing back up. Mm-hmm. So he, he had a 99 WRC plus last year. That's basically average, but he still played excellent defense, mm-hmm. still an excellent base runner, still an excellent clubhouse guy. You know, we got the absolute floor of Jason Hayward. If Bryce Harper doesn't hit, Bryce Harper is useless because right. he doesn't provide value on the bases like Hayward. He doesn't provide the defense that Hayward provides. He doesn't. He doesn't bring the intangible leadership that Jason Hayward does. And Jason Hayward, for all of his faults, is available. Bryce Harper missed, has missed a lot of games in his career, and I'm not one that's generally inclined to believe that as a guy gets into his upper 20s and into his 30s, and especially into his late 30s, that that suddenly you're going to get healthier and be more available than you were in your early to mid-20s. That's not right. really how that goes. 
let's bring this on home. Uh, we have one outstanding player. Uh, at least he used to be outstanding before a bunch of weird stuff happened that I don't think we're necessarily qualified to talk about. But uh, what do you think the Cubs are going to do with Addison Russell when he comes back from his suspension? You know, I, I'm taking the Cubs at their word on Addison Russell that he's got to earn his way back. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, we, or Twitter in general, wants specifics from the Cubs about about what Addison is doing to to earn his way back. I don't think they can give them. You know, if if Addison Russell's seeing a therapist and he's getting counseling, and they can't really disclose those types of things because HIPAA pretty much prevents them from doing that publicly. Right. So I see a lot of what the Cubs are doing with Addison Russell, and I – I align it with what they did with Tommy Lasella a couple of years ago when he refused to go to AAA. Mm-hmm. And the circumstances are way different. The The reasoning is way different. I'm probably going to get roasted for this too when this podcast comes out. I, I should just stay off Twitter after this comes out for a couple of days. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like three people who listen, right? <laughs> I look at, I look at Addison Russell similarly to how they handled Tommy LaStella, where instead of instead of doing the knee-jerk thing that, that I admitted I would have done with Tommy LaStella, I would have released him. He would have been gone. Mm-hmm. Um, they worked with Tommy, and they they helped Tommy get his head right. You know, Addison Russell, is a, he's 24 years old. He's got a new girlfriend. He's got three children. No, a lot of people want the Cubs and society in general to just give up on the guy. You you really can't. Like, if the Cubs were to release him, you know, and and not follow through to to help him handle his anger and handle how he deals with stress and pressure and all of those things. You you just cut bait on a guy and and you know publicly you look a lot better than than helping him and helping him learn to manage that and try to try to give a guy a second chance. Yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm a second chances guy. I've struggled with anger issues. I've struggled with violent anger issues. The difference between me and Addison Russell is I didn't get violent with my ex-wife. I didn't get violent with my existing girlfriend. I got in fights in school. Mm -hmm. My teachers and my parents and stuff, they dealt with my anger. So when I became an adult, I didn't have those things happen. Yeah. Addison Russell, you know, his stuff manifested A, in adulthood, which makes it worse because people think that you outgrow that stuff, and that's not necessarily true. If you never taught or never really learn how to deal with those things they just manifest themselves later like they did for him and then on top of that he's a starting shortstop for the Chicago Cubs you know so he's on a big stage playing for a big team that and he plays an important visible position and he's been a top prospect he's been hyped uh this is a guy when when he got kicked off the mountaintop, he went a long way down. So as a player, uh, Addison Russell had 
has work to do to to match the prospect status he had. As a human being, I'm rooting for Adam Russell. I'm rooting for him to figure out what got him to the point where he treated um, Melissa the way he did, and I want I want him to learn how to handle himself and you know forgetting baseball you know be a better man you know being a, being a good father being a good you know significant other for his girlfriend or if he gets married again you know a lot of a lot of his married and children timeline got sped up he's got three kids and he's 24 and he's divorced and you know he's been through a lot in a short time and I don't I don't like what he did, but I in some ways I understand because I've gone through a lot of the same stuff that he's gone through. So I'm rooting for him to figure it out and to improve and to be genuinely remorseful. And it takes some time. It takes some time to learn. And it takes something like this where he's going to get by forty thousand people and he's going to get He's going to get hated and he's going to get, you know, it, it takes time to, to learn to handle that, but he's got to, he's got to figure out what gets him to the point that, that triggers that anger and, and to understand how to diffuse that. And then when he does get to that angry place to, to express it more positively or more constructively, and I think is a better word. So I'm rooting for Addison Russell to, to be a better man. And if I, I will put the Cubs at their word that they're monitoring his progress in that regard. So if they bring it back, you know, hopefully it's because he's doing the things to become a better man and to earn his way back. And then Yo, he's a cub, and if he gets a big hit, I'm gonna be happy he got a big hit. But, you know, most most importantly, I'm rooting for the guy to to clean up his own head before before he's worried about cleaning up a double play. Yeah, I think uh, I understand where a lot of the anger from Cubs fans are coming from, and you know, you just just never lay a hand on anybody to to solve a problem in my opinion, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of jobs, uh, high paying jobs where if you do something to this effect, uh, that it shows up in a background check, you can't get that job anymore. So I also understand, uh, why a lot of people are against the second chance, because if you do that kind of stuff, you don't even get a first chance, but, um, you know, baseball is a little different and, you know, whether we like it or not, uh, this is what the Cubs have decided. And I'm a guy who tries to assume the best for everybody. I believe in redemption. Uh, and for this, you know, if his wife is willing to work with him and support him in this regard to say, you know, I, I want this for my ex-husband uh, and there, there's a lot of different things that goes on in, in their family and whatnot, but uh, this is their decision, and the Cubs have decided to do the same. They, I, I guess, reportedly consulted with Melissa Wrighty 
before they made their final decision, and she was on board. So if she's on board, then I guess we should be on board. Yeah, I think I think everybody's kind of got to make up their own mind on it. I'm not going to tell anybody that they should be happy as in Russell still a cub. No, not, not really. I'm not happy. I'm not happy or unhappy that he's still a cub. I'm hopeful that he makes he makes positive strides in in handling the things that got him to that place because you know it's awful that he did it to his wife and the mother of his of one of his children um but you know had he done it to you know had he hit Javier Baez or had he beat up Tommy Lestella or had he beat up some guy in a bar or you know all of those things are they come from the same place so right. it's not you know it, we we hot button issue domestic violence for good reason, but but all of those things come from the same place. So you, we would we would have been upset with Addison Russell if we got into a fight at a bar. Yeah. But so I don't think we would have had the universal calling for him to be released. Mm. So my thought is like regardless of what the Cubs end up deciding with Addison Russell, I almost believe that you got to keep Javi Baez in the lineup somehow, no matter what what handedness the pitch, opposing pitcher is for his defense alone. Uh, and for the fact that every now and then he's going to send the ball a long, long way. Um, I know Addison Russell is probably still very talented as a baseball player. And because obviously from a baseball standpoint, want to tap into the talent but ultimately, I think Javier Baez is going to be the starting shortstop for a long time, even with Addison Russell back. I, I think at at the point that Addison returns, if he returns, uh, the the vast majority of the the games will see a middle infield of Russell and Baez. You know, if if they conclude that Addison Russell is better suited for short or for second base with Javier Baez at short or vice versa. I don't think it really matters. I think the middle infield that we're going to see the most is Addison Russell and Javier Baez. And it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense with the pitching that they have that that relies on balls in play and weak contact. And, you know, their best defensive lineup is a middle infield of Addison Russell at short and Javier Baez at second. You know, and then Anthony Rizzo yeah. at first base. That's that's a really, really outstanding infield defense. And the one place that Addison Russell has shined in his major league career is in the field. You know, he had he had some injury issues in 2017 that that affected his throwing. Those seem to have gone away in 2018. He's an outstanding defensive shortstop, and in the you know, in the absence of of injury, you know, he's he's the best defensive shortstop on the roster. And Javier Baez is really, really good at second base. And to me, it makes all the sense in the world to play those two together again to mm-hmm. really hold down that middle infield defense. Yeah, I think they'll ultimately stay in the middle infield. I just uh, 
I'm hesitant to say who's going to be starter and who's going to be on the bench until we see more. And obviously the Cubs being the Cubs, they have the personnel. They don't know more. I, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I just don't think it's like set in stone. And I think uh, ultimately for me anyway, Javier Baez is probably going to be the shortstop long-term regardless because who knows what happens after the season. But uh, as far as the best all-around defender, I think it is Javi and uh, he can just play anywhere he wants. (laughs) You know, Javi, Javi has the, He's got a great arm, and he's got really good range, but he's not always as consistent catching the ball. And that's that's the place where Addison Russell really, really shines and, and really stands out metrically is that, you know, Addy's got range, and and he does a lot of spectacular stuff too. He doesn't have the arm that Javier Baez has, but he's got the other stuff down. Honestly, it doesn't it doesn't really matter which one plays – which position if Addison Russ plays second and Javi plays short or vice versa. It doesn't really matter. Uh, keeping keeping them both up the middle really, really shores up that middle infield defense. It allows Ben Zobris some time. Mm-hmm. time off. Like Ben Zobris is old, which feels ridiculous because he's only a couple years older than I am or a few years older than I am. Um, but you know, yeah. for a baseball player, Ben Zobert's a pretty old guy, and it's not—it's not a bad idea to to limit his innings a little bit, especially you know in the the doldrums in the middle of summer. Um, so mm-hmm. that's a place—that's a place where having Addison Russell come back will come in handy. I think at least at the outset of the season, it'll be a lot of Baez and Zobrist up the middle, and then. You know, this is probably Ben Zobrist's last season as a Cub. So, you know, looking forward, you know, if Addison Russell's not back, Nico Horner is a is an option at second base. Um, you know, right. the Cubs have some some ways to go, but I think at least at least this season they're they're putting some of their eggs in the Addison Russell basket. Uh, I think we got one last thing to talk about. That is the NL Central. Uh, I am still bullish on the Cubs making the postseason. I also believe that they have what it takes to win the division after like their hiccup last season. So I know that the other teams have improved, uh, at least on paper. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt apparently signed uh, an extension with the Cardinals. The Reds uh, traded for a bunch of guys and signed a couple pitchers. Uh, the Pirates are the Pirates. So, yeah, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm taking the Cubs to win the division this year. The The Cardinals are, are better. Paul Goldschmidt, uh, he, really, he really helps balance the lineup and give them give them what they've been lacking really since Albert Pujols left and that's a 
a solid middle of the order, you know, power hitting bat. Um, on the other side of that, I think there are a lot of ifs. You know, they've got half a dozen outfielders who might give them something. Uh, Marcelo Zuna mm-hmm. probably probably rebounds some. I think he was dealing with a shoulder injury last year, so we should see a little more of the Marcelo Zuna that that was a Miami Marlin than what we saw last year, which is depressing, but, you know, Marlin's going to Marlin. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the Cardinals pitching isn't, you know, it doesn't scare me. Uh, you know, so they, they have a lot of questions. They're a good baseball team, but but they need some things to break right to, to really challenge for the division. The Milwaukee Brewers, right. uh, they were heavily reliant on their bullpen last year, and that comes into the season with, with some injuries. You know, Corey Knable, you know, I think he's actually got a partially torn UCL that I read. Um, Jeremy Jeffress is going to start on the injured list. No, Josh Hader is ridiculous, but you know, he can't pitch every day and he, he can't he can only pitch so much, yeah. And especially in the role that they use him, where they use him for multiple innings, you know, two or three times a week at most. Uh, it really you know, it, it helps him affect the games he pitches, but he doesn't get to pitch as much or in as many games. Um and then they're starting rotation super young. It's talented, but it's very young, and it's very unproven. And and in a lot of ways, I expect to see a lot of Milwaukee Brewer regulars take a step back. Uh, Christian Yelich isn't going to hit like he hit in the second half of the season. He's a really good player. He's not that good. Uh, Jesus Aguilar, yeah. he had that run in the middle of summer that was pretty ridiculous. I'm not sure we'll see that again. You know, he'll, he's going to hit for some power and he'll take some walks, but he's not necessarily the the player he was last year. Uh, Lorenzo Kane is 35. You can only have so many career years in your mid-30s. You know, he's a good leadoff hitter, and he'll set the table for him pretty well. Just Monty Grandall yeah. was hitting, you know, he was hitting this last year. He had three, three pretty big months, and he had three pretty not so big months. Uh, he's probably more stable than the Eric Krantz, Jet Bandy, um, you know, run of scrap mm-hmm. heap catchers that they've been using the last few years, but. He doesn't. Yeah, I had to look it up. Yeah. Um, I I think Kane is only. He's going to turn 33 in two weeks. So uh, he's not 35, but he is definitely in his 30s. He's 33 this year. So uh, that's not young. And speed is one of the first things to go. Unless you're Ricky Henderson. (laughs) He, He had. He had a great year last year, far beyond anything the Brewers could have ever imagined them, Absolutely, them getting yeah. from him at this stage of his career. You know, this isn't the stage of your career where where those things continue to happen, though. So, you know, mm-hmm. they were 
They were an 84-ish win team on paper last year. They're an 84-ish win team on paper this year. Uh, They've outperformed that the last two years. But last year, they very much did it on the back of two months where they had winning percentages over 700. Otherwise, they were that same 84-ish win team for the rest of the season. Can that happen again? Mm -hmm. I'm not one to believe that lightning strikes twice, even though it did last year between May and September, where they, you know, they, that accounted for basically their entire gap between 500 and winning the division was beating up on some struggling teams and having a big May and then going nuts to end the season. I'm not sure they can do that again and definitely can't rely on that to happen again. Uh, the Pirates, I have no earthly idea what the, the Pittsburgh Pirates are doing. Uh, they they look like they're going to sell pieces and try to rebuild, and then they trade for Chris Archer, and then who knows what they're trying to they do. They don't do anything but, all off season. <laughs> but, it, but it probably adds up to yeah. about 74 wins. And, yeah, I, I know people are – I know a few Reds fans and they're excited about the Reds and they should be because this is probably the best Reds team that they're going to field in quite a while. But I look at it and I'm like, if you're counting on what's left of Matt Kemp and Alex Wood and Sonny Gray, and I guess the best of them all is Yasiel Puig to, to be the difference between being a 73 win team and an 82 win team. You're probably asking for a little bit much. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the Reds are all that good. They're better than they were, but they're not. They're not a real threat for anything of substance. The only thing they could actually threaten right. is relevancy, and to me, that's that's not enough to, to make them worthy of, of discussion. So, the Reds and Pirates <laughs> probably battle at the bottom of the division in that seventy-four to seventy-five win win area. I think the Cubs probably win between 91 and 95 games somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, the Cardinals are probably in that 88 to 90 win range. The Brewers probably 84 to 86. So, yeah, I think the Cubs okay. probably win. The- well, and yeah. you know, the and, Card- uh, to hell with Dakota. <laughs> The Cardinals might make a return to the playoffs for the first time in four years. Maybe. They'd have to get Maybe. one of the wild cards, though, in our scheme. Yeah, I think, I think the Cardinals are are a, a wild card team, essentially. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to go nuts on picks, I'll do the National League. I think the Dodgers, Cubs, and Nationals win their divisions. And then the Cardinals oh. and Phillies get the wild cards. Okay. I sort of like the Rockies. They have, like, better pitching than a lot of people give them credit for. So Yeah, I like the Rockies, I, I too. Might, I, might, I might sneak the Rockies in. And, you know, from, from a philosophical standpoint, it would be kind of nice to see the Padres do well after blowing all that money. But – who knows? Baseball is weird, man. 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think the Padres yeah. are poised to to make some teams angry, but I don't think that that poise is going to get them far above 82-ish wins. They they'll they'll threaten 500 this year, which is leaps and bounds better than they've been the last few years. Could it be Three oh five Central start time uh, on tomorrow. That's one p.m. my time, three p.m. your time, because you're still in Central and they're at the Rangers. So we'll get a pH. Uh, this is going to be really exciting, and I'm glad that uh, you talked me into this so that we can put this out right before first pitch. Yeah, I'm. I'm. So glad that we're done talking about not getting Bryce Harper and not signing Craig Kimbrell or you know, let's put all the off season to bed. Let's move past this winter and into the game. Just play some baseball, man. Yeah, let's yeah. let's play real baseball games that count. Yep. So uh I do have to get up early. So I don't think this is going to get as much of an edit job as I usually do because we got to sneak this in under the wire. But uh, I want to thank you for talking me into this again. Uh, you can find Andy on Twitter at where, where are you, man? At behind the Ivy with underscores between the words. All right. And uh, hopefully at some point, like I, I haven't blogged lately and I'm trying to, rig it so that we when we blog it's not white noise so hopefully we can find something creative to do uh when we have time but you're always welcome to throw something on there again and just let me know uh you can find us at the official world series dreaming twitter at ws dreaming underscore cubs same handle for instagram and uh you can also find us on facebook we are at WorldSeriesDreaming.com. Big thanks to Rich Deanna for a theme song and Randall Sanders for the final outs because the Cubs did win the World Series and sometimes people forget that. And a lot of the guys from the team are still around. So I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. But who knows? Pakoda might be right. I doubt it. <laughs> Uh, please rate us on iTunes, share us if you can, and email us at worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Uh, hopefully when we get into a groove and get settled, there will be more content. But for now, uh, just look for us about once a month or so. And, yeah, any last words, sir? No, it was, it was great to, to jump back into this and talk about baseball again and look forward to the next one. All right, let's uh, let's see what happens here. Well, by the time you guys listen to this, the Cubs will either be getting ready for first pitch or will already have secured their first result, hopefully a W. So, it's more than just a game.